Hey, welcome to the Pot Smoking Moms. We're officially here. We're officially here. You're officially here too. Welcome, welcome. I am your host, Sunny D, along with my homegirl, Captain J. Hello, hello. And here we are. This is your favorite podcast. Uh, <laughs> we should be your favorite podcast. I'm sorry. What, you're still, what? We're still, no, go, go. We're catching up. To all of the madness, all of the technicality madness. There's so many pushes of buttons right. and things I need to remember. So sorry if I'm acting so Yeah, we're <laughs> always like, we got to go do a test run, see what's happening. It's always, you know, there's always fun improv stuff happening. We're, we'll get it better and better every episode, the more we play with this. You know, but technology is also a bitch. So, you know, there's always that. Hey, if, if you're a fan of the show, if you interact with us online, we love it. We welcome it. Uh, if you haven't rated or reviewed to our podcast, please do so. Um, you know, if you do share some lovely words and leave a little review, we'll send off some stickers, you know, and love you for the rest of your life. Yes, please help us <laughs> put some reviews up. Help us get um, some eyeballs on our podcast. Yes, mm. Absolutely. We are smoking it up today. I hope uh, you guys are ready yes, at home because we are ready to light what do it you got? up. You got a J there? Yeah, I rolled up a little, a little blazy Susan, my little pink joint here with our little blazy Susan pack. Yeah, nice. I got a little, so truly, Lauren's like, I'll never run out of those. You guys hooked me up. <laughs> right. We will forever have rolling papers. <laughs> uh, I got a little, I truly, they have grounds that are like 3.5 grams now. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm called roll one so i got the pineapple upside down cake uh roll one and rolled myself a nice j out of that well i got a bowl right here in my little pot smoky mom bong of chem d from one plant nice if you got it at home cheers cheers That fan is not doing this joint any favors. Yeah, but this part of my house doesn't stay cool without circulation. I know. Sometimes I'm sweating I think I need my a brows hit. off. I'm going to need a second hit. Second hit. Second. Got an awesome interview coming up on the show. We want you to stick around for that. We speak to... Uh, an attorney, Michael Minardi from Minardi Law. Well, he gets, shares a lot of really interesting information with us, uh, stuff that you guys have asked us before and that we haven't had a chance to answer until now, including uh, if there's any workplace protections for someone who has a medical marijuana card and all that jazz. So stick around for that. Hey, we are full on video now. And if you want to check out the video uh, episodes, sign on to our Patreon. Oh, uh, you get so many perks when you become a patron. You get discounts on events. We we do all types of stuff. We got a Discord going. Uh, we That's do, my new favorite. Yeah, Discord. we do smoke sessions on there. We too. used to just have our IG chat. Now our Discord channel, like we have so many more things that we can do in there. We have different kinds of conversations and threads going. My new favorite is the Sesh with Me channel where. You just jump in there and sesh with whoever's available, if anyone's available. Yeah, and it shows Sometimes I get online. in there and no one's available, but it's okay. 
You yeah, know? but sometimes you like put the call out. <laughs> yeah. Send messages to people and then people show up. Yeah, you that's, got, how we that's know. the thing. When you go in, you do have to send out a message and be like, hey, I'm in here if anybody wants to chill, you know? Otherwise, they're not going to know. It doesn't notify you when somebody jumps in, does it? I got to say, I think it was just you that notified. It was me. I sent like a at everyone message. And then we have now threads dedicated to our segments in there where we can talk about stories that we talked about on the show or, you know, our patrons can recommend stories for us to talk about in the show in those segments. Yeah. Or if we need to elaborate on some of the stuff that yeah. we have here. Or just, you know, share our opinions about the topic, whatever the story was about. So, yeah. So lots of fun. Hey, if you can't become a patron, you can't contribute. You know, that's okay. Rate, review, and share our podcast. And like I said earlier, we'll get a sticker out to you. And who knows? Who knows what else I'll send? Maybe I'll just show up. <laughs> Maybe some Lazy Susan wraps. <laughs> Probably some Probably Lazy some Susan. Probably some Lazy Susan wraps and uh, stickers. Well, please, Absolutely. hook us up with a review. Yo, so we got school coming up. And yeah. um, I'm going to be a first-time school kid mom what was this? a first time school-aged mom parent yeah and she's going to school because she didn't even get to do vpk because of the pandemic right i kept her away from like i just it was like i'm home already what the hell am i gonna do um but we're getting ready for that and um, we're you know we've adjusted i think i've mentioned it in the past we've adjusted the sleeping situation yeah you know. um, i have a five-year-old and a three-year-old and it's like such a fucking I was today, I was like threatening everybody. I'm going to get oh a crib for everyone in this house. <laughs> everyone. So they can't get out. Yeah. I'm about to start treating them like, uh, what's the moon, moon, uh, what moon night? How, you know how he chains himself to the floor oh so that he won't. Oh my God. Yeah. So he I'll won't start chaining them to the No, I'm not going to do that. That's terrible. But. <laughs> Jesus, it's like that's every like those night. parents, those parents that abuse their kids. They would oh change God, their kids yeah. to the events. That's why I was like, oh, that's awful because I remember <laughs> those people. Those were awful. That, that family, but oh my God, I don't know what to freaking do. Like every night, it, they want they're scared. They want somebody to sleep with them, so we have to sleep. One of us has to sleep. In but how room come it wasn't asleep. a problem before? I don't what has changed? know. I took. Sid, I took the younger one out of the crib and they start sleeping in the same bed. Like it's a, it's a pullout bed. So now they sleep in the so same bed. So you would think they'd feel even safer because they're sleeping right. together. Exactly. Not more scared. Exactly. So strange. And it's giving the three-year-old like. They must have seen something that scared them and now they're scared. Or I they, hate to say this. They just but, have more freedom and they just want to drive I mean, at least the little one, for sure, the little <laughs> one has more freedom. And I feel like she's a bad influence on the older one. Uh, because... I think you're right. That sounds about right. Sid was like, yo, yeah, what you... you could get up and leave whenever you, you want. want. You never did. What's wrong with yo, you? <laughs> yes, bitch. That's what happens. Sloan, what have you been doing all these years? Yeah, girl, you, you should have been... been hooking me yeah, up. Like, you, been... you just stay here till they open the door and get you out of bed. <laughs> no, it's go time every time. So it's a nightmare because like... <sighs> When it's just like when it's not one thing, it's the other. When it's not the little one, it's the older one. And then and and lately we've been we've had congestion in the house. So my husband's been snoring like really big time bad. Yikes. So it's so no so, sleep. I can't. I mean, no sleep. Kids out of bed. No, no sleep. sleep. Husband, husband snoring. snoring. No, no sleep. sleep. <laughs> Kids out of bed. No sleep. 
I should do. We should do that TikTok, that TikTok. That way. instead of in it being partying. It's like uh-huh. no three a.m., four a.m. It's like I look at the clock, going to my kid's room, three a.m. I go back to my bed, four a.m. The kid comes into my bedroom at four thirty, and it said today at about seven, I woke up and everybody was in my bed, and I was like. Go we, sleep in there. I was like, deuces. I, I, that's what I fucking did. I was yes. like, there's a perfectly good Leave bed over here. Leave them with the snoring husband. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and I go did. sleep in their bed. It was chaos this morning. Everybody was upset. <laughs> that mommy locked well? herself up in the... It was a 7 a.m. And then by 8 a.m., everybody <laughs> was up. screaming and knocking on the door. Why is mommy in my room? <laughs> when I walked over there at around 7 in the morning, my oldest saw me. She's and like, I don't know if she was like, she was like, hmm. she was like, oh, is she going to have a party? Because I can get in on it. <laughs> she peeked out of my room and I looked at her, man. I was so mad. I was like, get back in the room. <laughs> the mom death stare. And then I went into the room and closed the door and was like, let me at least get an hour. That was a sleep. really scary face you just made. Oh, my God. So <laughs> scary. I was showing you on the Zoom the other night, and I was like, look, this is the face that my kid is scared of. Watch. I'm kind of scared of it, too. Yeah, that's creepy. (laughs) Stop. Yeah, I can see why Slow doesn't like that face. As soon as I do it, she starts looking at me. She's like, who the fuck is that? Because that is not my mom. (laughs) She goes, no, no, please don't do that. I don't like it. That's so mean. It's not mean. Okay. You know what's mean? Chaining them to their bed. <laughs> oh my God. That's mean. That's what you're going to compare That's what I'm going to compare it to. <laughs> I mean, well, it's not, I'm joking. I know. But, oh my gosh, we'll see. <laughs> if any of, and if anybody has had similar issues with their children. Please share. Please share. I know most people are going to hit me up and be like, look, bitch, it's just, you got to wait. You got to wait till they get older. They're like, little, it's just, yeah. You know, they just got to wait. Eight years old, I have no problems except for the fact that he doesn't like same. He doesn't like to sleep alone, so he does. But it doesn't bother me. Like one of us will trade off. Because <laughs> honestly, I rather my husband go sleep because it's the same thing, the snoring. <sighs> yeah, man. I was gonna get invested in a, in a pink salt <laughs> lamp. Have you heard of these? Pink salt. A Himalayan lamp. pink salt bath. Bath. A salt lamp i used to work at a nutrition center and so one of the things we sold was a himalayan okay i've seen those salt lamp i've seen those and the idea is it's supposed to i don't know if you've ever gone to a spa one of the things that they have is like a salt room it's supposed to take impurities out and well mm, we need to put that on the list of things we have to do (laughs) to have a spa day but um yeah so himalayan so we had tried it in the past he was a bad snorer we put the light on because my coworker was like, bitch, I tried it and it worked. And I was like, shut up. A pink lamp, a salt lamp helped your sister stop snoring. So I was like, okay, bet. I'll fucking try it. I don't care. I'll try it. It's like 15 bucks. What's, you know, and it's pretty, has a pretty light. Mm-hmm. We tried it and it worked. His snoring was like, it, 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 it was cut. It cut back a lot. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm thinking about cracking out a, buying a, investing in a pink we the only reason we don't have it is because it stopped working and i was just like fuck it who cares you yeah, you don't snore well, anymore <laughs> now i'm not sleeping you care oh man so 
I don't know. Maybe we'll get a pink salt Himalayan salt lamp in the future. Or or chain the kids to the beds. I don't know. We'll see. We'll I'll I'll update you guys about that. You need to make you need to think of some kind of incentive that will keep them in their room. I feel like too, once school starts and everybody is going to have to be put on like a schedule. Strict. Yeah, because people are he going needs her to not sleep before school. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna fuck around anymore. I think now it's like, oh mom, we're home all day, you know, oh we don't no no consequences. Yeah. Now we start school. If you're fucking around and you get to school and you're tired as hell, you're not gonna have a good day. What time do they normally wake up? Um, they so it's been getting earlier and earlier since the little one is free. Is free. No, but like so, they were getting just to go, but are they up for the day? So around seven thirty, the little one seven thirty, and Sloan could sleep till nine. Yeah, as they get older. But sleep more. So we'll see how that works out. I hope everybody's good luck. Yeah, everybody, good luck with all. I the have kids to switch mine too. back to a normal sleep schedule because, like, during summer we're like party no, time. Yeah, we're like you can stay up late. You know, you know, we let him stay up late as long as he wanted. Obviously, we would be like, okay, it's it's like midnight. Let's get ready for bed. Right. But uh, we didn't like. Oh, you have to be in bed like his normal bedtime. Like, do we do during the school year? So now. We got to get him back on schedule. He's he's not ready for it. He does not want school to come back. He's like, why? Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. We're, I'm trying to talk to mine. I'm like, oh, you know, when we get when school comes in, we got to go on. I'll try to give her, like, prepare her. My, my, my husband's like, oh, you're not going to wait till the last day to get start getting them up. And I'm like, no, bro, they're already starting to get up early. Like this week, we're going to start getting up early. Got to get ready. Start the routine. I would start it before you actually have school starting. Yeah, this week. This week yeah. we're starting to get, we're going to start getting up early and doing when things. When does school, does when does school start in Broward? Uh, next week. Not not this week, but next one. On the 17th? Oh, uh, Tuesday. Ours is Wednesday, the 17th. So yeah, weird. Yeah, start in the middle of the day. I was like, why is week? it in the Wednesday? Normally, the Monday is on a Tuesday now. It's yeah, so like a planning. I think it's just for the teachers to like. Get ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're Brace already yourself, they're, they're already you know? going back starting ne- the end of next yeah. week or sooner if they're newer teachers. All right. Everyone ready for? Nuggiest news from the stoniest ladies. News Nugs, where we get high and read the wee news to you. All right. Update on Griner. Here we go, guys. I'm sure you guys have already heard. Yeah, you've probably seen these headlines because it was pretty it's jarring. Just freaking fantastic. Russian yeah, court nine. finds Brittany Griner guilty in drug trial. A Russian court on Thursday, August 4th, found American basketball star Brittany Griner guilty of drug charges and sentenced her to nine years in prison. The culmination of a trial that has stirred tensions between Moscow and the United States. Griner, who has been detained since February, appeared in the courtroom earlier in the day to appeal for leniency as her attorneys and the prosecution delivered closing arguments. The Russian prosecutor asked the judge presiding over the case to sentence Griner to nine and a half years. (sighs) That's just that's too, too long. The guilty verdict, which was handed down after 11 a.m. around 11 a.m. on the East Coast in the United States, was widely widely expected and puts Griner's fate subject to diplomatic bargaining between Russia and the United States. 
as the New York Times put it. In recent days, Russian and U.S. officials have been discussing a potential prisoner exchange involving Greiner and Viktor Bout, a Russian arms dealer currently serving a 25-year prison sentence in the United States. Last week, the Biden administration made an offer to Russia that would see the release of Bout, Greiner, and Paul Whelan, an American who's been detained in Russian in Russia on espionage charges since 2018. Earlier this week, Bloomberg reported that Russia had rejected that offer, instead favoring a deal that would secure the release of two Russian prisoners. The New York Times reported on Thursday that officials in Moscow have said that a victim that a verdict in her trial was a necessary precondition for a possible exchange for Griner. President Joe Biden has faced growing pressure to secure Griner's release. Of course, they want to make her guilty with the long sentence because that makes it more of a bargaining chip for them. So, like. They 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 knew that this was going to be a guilty verdict, and they were gonna that she was going to get a sentence because they want that. So they be like, oh, so we're not going to accept this offer, like like to to, work with uh the government on the trade, on the train, yeah, so that they can get as much as they can out of out of it. And on top of that, on top of this whole thing, so we've been keeping up track with the Griner situation, but we've also had made comments, and we've made comments with other people on how not to use her as an example but how the government is trying to make trades to get someone out for something that we have so many people locked up here for Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you know we're making concessions for someone in russia and granted yes we do want to get her out she's an important person to us and it's uh she's there under and we should be doing that for Right. But I, I, yeah, exactly. The argument is here is we need to do that for all of the Americans locked up here within the United States. I mean, it's even just, it's just even clogging up the system. It's just a, such a, such a waste, waste of, of time. Resources yes, and money and exactly. Ruining people's lives for something that other people are making millions yeah. off of. Right. So uh, we do want Griner out, but we also want everyone else here out, out as well. But. Let's see. I'm sure there's going to end up being a trade of some sort. For sure. So our next story is actually another basketball player. <laughs> they got caught weed in an airport. Here locally? Yeah. and Well, locally as in Texas, in like US, in the United in States. US, yeah. So former NBA player Iman Schumpert arrested in Texas. This is the guy that was on Dancing with the Stars and won. Arrested in Texas for cannabis possession. The list of celebrities and famous athletes who are caught in possession of cannabis at airports or while abroad continues to expand, this time with a former NBA player. Mm. Um, he's known for playing on teams such as the New York Knicks, Cleveland Cavaliers, Sacramento Kings, Houston Rockets, and Brooklyn Nets, and also the Dancing with the Stars season mm-hmm. 30 champion. Uh, he was arrested uh, with for cannabis possession last week while traveling. 6.2? That's what yeah. I mean, like, to be traveling? That's Bro, like a I lot. don't know why he was thinking traveling with that much. 6.2 ounces? He was in possession of 6.2 ounces in his luggage. That's, that's... <laughs> on July 30th, while going through security at Dallas Fort That's more Worth than we can have in a month, bitch. Like, that's yeah. more than we can have in a, in a month here. Was he, like, rolling with everybody's stash? Like, did he have an right? entourage? I don't know. Like, or- why is he traveling to New York with 6.2 ounces of cannabis? Now, I'm not saying that it's okay that he's arrested, but, but I just don't understand the reasoning why you would travel with that much on an uh-huh. airplane. That is a sizable into, amount of Into a state that is not legal you know what i mean like yeah yeah no i mean if the the bottom line is is it's not you're not supposed to be traveling with that 
No. And the fact that you're they getting away, you're trying but you like, to get away. On, on maybe if you had a baggie, a not joint, like, a yeah, a nug or whatever, Bro, a vape pen. 6.2 ounces, like I said, that's, that's more like, than what we're allowed in a month here medically. I'm so. sure they consider that like intent to distribute or some yeah, shit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, so he was on his way to Los Angeles. So I guess he thought it was okay because in LA it's not a big deal. But you're yeah, not but supposed he was to be on an airplane. from Texas, though. Going through security on his way to yeah LA. Yeah. So uh, the Dallas airport well, uh, said that it was a sizable of marijuana. Yeah, well, I would say it, it is, is kind of a sizable amount, amount. of marijuana. Uh, the police also reported that he had a Glock magazine with 14 nine millimeter rounds, but no firearm. So I guess just the magazine that goes in it, even okay. though he he wasn't charged with having that. Right, but that's kind of strange to just have that. What is that? What do you do with that? You throw the bullets at people? Like, how do you, what do you, I don't understand. I don't know either. Yeah. The police report stated that Schumpert told officers that he had cannabis in his bag and asked if there was any way he could make his flight. He like, so he could arrive people, on time like, so and pick up one of his daughters. <laughs> say, look, I know, I, I know I trespassed and I, and I broke the law by a lot of ounces of But power, I gotta go pick up my kid. Can I, is it cool if I just. However, police told him no and arrested him for felony possession instead. In Texas, recreational cannabis is illegal and medical cannabis is only permitted under specific circumstances. Currently, possession of more than four ounces, but less than five pounds of cannabis in a state is a state jail felony. If Schumpert is convicted, the charge could net him up to two years in imprisonment and up to a $10,000 fine. Damn. It's a cautionary tale for anyone planning to travel with cannabis, especially 6.2. I mean, and I'm sure it's all cannabis. He probably, he probably, and you know, says that he purchased legally. He was like, you know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, uh, guys, uh, I I know this is weird. I know this is, I know this is illegal, but can I just go pick up my daughter? I know I you know, be can we just be done with, with this? I know. I, mean, I, sh I shouldn't be traveling with this, but perhaps you could allow me to go take care of some stuff real quick. Oh, you guys can't see the pillow. We, said, we have like a, a weed bag. Uh, the biggest bag of weed. <laughs> the biggest. Oh, okay. Okay, it's a cautionary tale for anyone planning to travel with cannabis. Many airports in legal states have loosened restrictions for cannabis possession. Earlier this year in Canada, one airport was considering allowing a <laughs> cannabis dispensary on site. <laughs> Canada is like, we need dispensaries everywhere. Canada. College campuses, on airport, <laughs> in the airport. Smoke weed every day, everywhere. <laughs> every, every day, day everywhere. everywhere. Anyway you can. Oh my Jesus. <laughs> We, that's why we're like, Canada sounds better oh, and better Canada. every day. <laughs> uh, airports in Chicago installed cannabis amnesty boxes in 2020 for travelers to drop their cannabis in prior to their flights. In 2018, Los Angeles International Airport changed its policy to allow cannabis possession at the airport, but not an actual on an actual flight. What? Uh, so How you could have it at the airport, but not on the flight. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it, rules like in the air. Because you're, too. yeah, going to be crossing state lines, so yeah. they can't. But it's kind of silly. Why allow it in the airport at all if, like, you... I don't... <laughs> I mean, allow it to draw, like, do the amnesty Maybe box, the, like, like to, to dispose of it if you yeah. get caught in a situation where you have some leftover or whatever. I guess it's just like, oh, you won't get in trouble. You just can't get on the plane with that. That's it. That's what they're saying. Right. Yeah. 
So earlier this year in January, rapper Vic Mensa was caught with 124 grams of psilocybin capsules, 178 grams of psilocybin gummies, six grams of psilocybin mushrooms. Oh, wait a minute, psilocybin gummies? I don't know, but I need to try those. I do need to try those. (laughs) Well, wait, what was that? Six Six grams grams of psilocybin psilocybin mushrooms and 41 grams of LSD. This guy was stacked with some freaking packing and trapping. (laughs) While at Washington Dole's International Airport in Virginia after returning from Ghana, he was charged with felony narcotics possession. Despite this, Vic Mensa recently launched his own cannabis brand in Chicago, Illinois, called 93 Boys. Traveling with cannabis abroad has proven to be dangerous, such as the case of the WNBA athlete, Brittany Griner. So, moral of the story is, don't travel with shitloads of drugs. <laughs> like, yeah, like, even you know, if you bought it legally, you know, like, I would say, uh, tone it down. I wonder bit. what's going to happen with his case. That's a lot of weed, bro. I mean, I would like to see what the outcome is. That's a lot of freaking weed. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of mad that that (laughs) our, I got our limits here are so thinking. Yeah, I don't know. I know he was going to say, he was thinking. Was it like, I'm going to smoke some weed when I get there. I wonder where he was coming from because they said he was in Dallas. Was he leaving Dallas? Was he like, oh, this is really good weed? No, I think it was like a layover in Dallas. Like maybe he got really good weed somewhere and he's like, I need to take this home. And he took home a bunch of weed. Like why did... I don't know, man. I wish I had... it. It's sus. Hey, I I wish I had that much weed, period. (laughs) We're not allowed that much weed. Yeah, I know. What about this? The right. other story. This next story is fun. Las Vegas cannabis industry preps for launch of consumption lounges. Woo! Now that final <laughs> regulations have been issued for marijuana consumption lounges to begin operating in Nevada, Las Vegas, cannabis executives are gearing up to lure customers off the strip and into their smoking rooms. Many Las Vegas business owners have been waiting upward of five years for the final go-ahead on consumption lounges and are eager to capitalize on visitors who need a place to consume in this tourism-dominated market. The law allows for lounges to begin operating statewide as early as the end of 2022 and for license to be processed beginning this fall. Oh, my God. That's going to be perfect because next year when we go for Lauren's 40th birthday. <laughs> our patron, One of our patrons wants to go all out and do a 40th birthday and we're like yo we want to go to vegas let's do it let's do it we're going to freaking vegas (laughs) well they're gonna have consumption lounges just in time for our visits so the state is allowing 40 to 45 licenses for lounges attached to existing marijuana retail stores and 20 for standalone establishment stylish uh, (laughs) 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 sorry guys establishment including 10 with sharply discounted fees reserved for social equity applicants. An estimated 60 to 65 existing retailers have expressed interest in opening consumption lounges. I bet. Consumption lounge hopefuls have begun to implement their own unique strategies for making profits in an untested market, a select few of which include focusing on comfortable, calm space to provide an alternative to the nightclub atmosphere of the Strip. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds up our stoner alley. <laughs> yeah. 
converting an existing restaurant to include the option of infuse your own food. Ooh, okay. Ooh, interesting. Yes, love it. Using a consumption lounge to drive traffic into nearby businesses. Cannabis tourism is massive, said Christopher Laporte, founder of cannabis hospitality company Reset Vegas. We can finally, we can really envision a cannabis tourism destination spot. Yes. Cannabis consumers want tourism. Yes. yes. I don't know. Customer experience. <laughs> say kill it. Oh, customer experience. Many in the Nevada cannabis sector are hoping to throw their hats in the consumption lounge ring, including Planet 13, a massive dispensary and entertainment center located near the strip. Can I say this? First of all, uh, my friend sent me pictures of this Planet 13. It's like, I don't know, it's geared toward touristy. So it's like one of the, it's the biggest, supposed to be the biggest dispensary. It's huge. Okay. Right? Uh, I was looking at the OMMU today and they are on it here locally, but they don't have anything specific yet. They you don't know have how anything says, open yet. They don't have right. any locations. Right. Or like they don't even have the, the, the specifics, like all the other. They're not ca- growing or doing anything in the state. Yeah, but they're there. So I feel like eventually they're putting their foot in for when it, it when does it go right recreational. They're going to have because it's so touristy and like what better place to open a Planet 13 than in Miami. Yep. Just saying. Company plans to combine the consumption lounge with a restaurant experience. Ooh. We serve regular food and you infuse your own food, said Larry Scheffler, CEO, co-CEO of Planet 13 Holdings. If you have a steak, we would give you a pad of garlic butter with THC. <sighs> A salad you can get, infused salad dressing, and so on. Oh, my God. Scheffler said he does not expect the lounge to be a big sales driver. Instead, it will direct new customers to the rest of the Planet 13 experience, most notably a nightclub the company recently opened in the same building under a different business license. Meh. That license Unless it's good music. Didn't they say they were doing an alternative to the nightclub scene? No, they're just saying they also have that there, but... Mm-hmm. That licensing arrangement skirts rules that do not allow lounges to serve alcohol and cannabis in the same building. Oh. In the same building, we will have consumption lounges, a cannabis museum, smoking lounges, a club, everything under one roof. You just want to what get a you- hold on the market and just... Because, like, again, Planet 13 is very... There's a rule that doesn't allow alcohol and cannabis in the same... I guess in L.A., the rules about alcohol have prevented others from... Vegas. I mean, right, Vegas, sorry. But that's why I'm saying that's... I guess there's there's a way around it because it's technically different places within one big place. I don't know. The rules about alcohol have prevented others in the Las Vegas cannabis space from even considering opening a consumption lounge. If you can't sell alcohol, I don't get how you make money, said Larry Doyle. (laughs) Have you not seen the amount of money we can make? Said Larry Doyle, owner of Las Vegas-based dispensary Euphoria Wellness. Oh, I've been in one of those. Locals may co- may go once out of curiosity, but tourists generally don't leave the strip. Other businesses, such as vertically integrated retailer, cultivator, and processor Thrive Cannabis Marketplace, are opting to stay away from the nightclub atmosphere and focus more on comfort and hospitality. Yes. Oh, I think they were talking about different thing, uh, different businesses before. 
I don't think the same user goes to a nightclub as they do a consumption lounge. So we'll definitely go with a more of a curated food and beverage program and just have and have just a really cool, clean kind of environment for people to hang out and consume their cannabis. Thrive CEO and managing partner Mitch Britton said, yeah, yeah. Thrive has partnered with Reset Vegas and Laporte said one priority is to destigmatize the concept of a consumption lounge and turn it into something Las Vegas consumers are familiar with. How many people think this is going to be a giant smoke filled room right now? Clearly, that's what's been holding this back for so long, Laporte said. People are assuming this is going to be some giant cumulus cloud in the middle of a venue. No, this is going to be a Vegas food and beverage experience. I can't tell you how many times I've had to say this. This isn't going to be an opium tent. <laughs> Laporte also believes consumer education will be a key strategy to remain successful as a consumption lounge. Another key component, a really good air filter, specifically an HVAC system. Yeah, that's important. If you look at a casino floor today, it smells like something nice. Why is that? There are plenty of people smoking cigarettes in there, Laporte said, indicating that with new developments in air filters, the average consumer would not notice any smoke in the room. It's true. If you have the right things. I mean, in a casino, it's not like super smoky if it's a good casino. So jumping through hoops, it might be. Uh, a challenging few quarters for businesses that want to open a consumption lounge because of red tape at the state level, not to mention potential insurance qualms. I think you're going to see a lot of the same type of legal difficulties that people experience if they open bars, said Jonathan Robbins, chair of cannabis practice at Miami-based law firm Ackerman, which represents clients across the country. Miami-based, shout out. You have the added complexity of dealing with a product that is not legal under federal law. After potential lounge owners have navigated the state licensing process, Robinson's said securing insurance might be another headache. Yeah, that sounds like a bitch to get insured. Anything with cannabis is always going to be a bitch because of the federal illegalization. Mm -hmm. When you have people actually consuming on premises, it could open a whole host of new issues from a liability perspective, he added. Robin said the insurance issue is a common denominator in many legal states and will not necessarily prevent consumption lounges from getting insurance, but it could be much harder to get and much more expensive than some might realize. Consumption lounges also face a whole new host of issues that are not necessarily new to the cannabis space, but people consuming on premise adds another layer of complexity. We don't want organized crime. We don't want people or operating motor vehicles while under the influence. We don't want sales to minors. Robin said, indicating that any fractions could potentially lead to federal intervention. Like what yeah, I don't pretty. get is like there's other like Amsterdam has been doing social like public consumption in lounges like smoke shops forever. Can't they look at others like how they do it to get an idea? Right. You'd think that America would look at uh, how things work in other places if they work well and then use that model and, uh, you know, use it for things here. And everything that would be I've ever read and do. heard is that in Amsterdam, once they made all these soft drugs, what they call like cannabis and shrooms, um, psychedelics legal, that crime went down and youth you. Use went down just like how we see here. So, like, couldn't you just see how they kind of did it? Yeah, bro. I mean, I again, I, I don't feel think like they ever sold. I when I've been to Amsterdam a, lot, a few times, a couple times, and I don't remember, but I was never looking for alcohol. 
Well, so yeah, I, mean, I don't remember if there was any alcohol, but it was a coffee shop. So you had coffee and like that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it'd be interesting to see what, how everything starts, you know, like what it starts turning into. Social equity. MJ Biz Daily has re- previously reported on the state of social equity in Nevada's cannabis industry, which has been heavily criticized in the past for issuing only one fully black owned retail license and two black owned cultivation licenses out of more than 330 permits. Oh, my God. However, Nevada state legislators went to great lengths to include language in the regulations with regard to diversity and inclusion. The state required half of all consumption lounge licenses issued in the first round to be given to social equity applicants, which keeps the door open in a market with several multi-state operators. Of the 20 licenses that they're going to be giving out, 10 of those are going to be designated as social equity licenses, Robin said. Additionally, all consumption lounge applicants must provide a diversity plan with their application, summarizing actionable steps and goals for meaningful inclusion. There are certain states like Florida and Nevada that really have done have not done quite enough in that regard. Hmm. So I found that to be positive, if nothing else, Robin said. Yeah, Florida. Keep up. <sighs> well, I mean, you know what? It's interesting. Lounges, huh? Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm. It's interesting to see them start doing that some places. They don't really have that in California, right? They just started they doing. I feel like, like, a like one restaurant that's like on a farm or something i think i don't know when i went to when i went to denver it's not that they had them but we would go places and people were like well if you want to smoke you can just yeah go over there and i feel like there's different different places like in new york you can smoke anywhere where you can smoke a cigarette so like as long as there's an outdoor space and it's not considered like in indoors where you're allowed to go outside and smoke you should be able to smoke weed yeah crazy isn't that it's fantastic i mean hey some things are changing other things need to change are not changing fast enough but you know i mean (laughs) little by little right and it's interesting to see uh i'd like to see what the after they do start the consumption lounges like what 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 they report back with what their findings are because also too uh profit wise right yeah. because these guys says it's, we're really centering uh our focus around food and stuff but you know i don't know you can only so you can only sell so much of that well it so maybe i mean if they're saying uh, some of them are going to be attached to the dispensary so you like would buy your product and then go sit in the lounge i feel like that's really consume. the only place that the only way lounges would work there's one uh arise has one out in chicago in illinois and they're uh, like a consumption lounge slash dispensary. I think it works that way. Yeah. You know, because you're making profit off of the weed and then you're saying, hey, if you want a safe out. space to hang out and have some coffee. <laughs> yes. All right. On to. I love you, Miami. <laughs> It's where we're from. Miami. <laughs> I love that. That little intro is so cute. So cool. <laughs> now that we added the music. And, oh. We got some big players headed out their way here to Florida. Yeah. So our first uh, story 
is it we chose because cookies is going to be opening soon here actually this weekend this is we airing wednesday this coming weekend they're opening their first store here in miami so um leafly did a story cookies and cream burner is the first cannabis ceo to go on the cover of forbes you saw the cover he had posted it on, uh, I think, yeah. Burner Boy posted it I don't have the cover here. This is the story from Leafly that I have page. here. <clears throat> so cannabis is the country's fifth most valuable crop. We reported on that before. Yeah. And employs almost half a million people. That's why it's high time Forbes toasted the industry with a cover story on its marquee mogul, Cookies CEO and founder, Burner. Extremely humbled and blessed to be one of the faces for le- federal legalization in our country, Burner wrote on his Twitter while linking to the new article yesterday. This is the definition definition of life goal shit, he added on Instagram. The Forbes write-up called for the end of federal prohibition and criticized how politicians have handled the issue to date. This, the title of the story is Weed versus Greed, How America Botched Legalizing Pot. On the cover, Forbes dubs Burner a $150 million cannabis king and quotes his admission that it's hard to sell legal weed. Whether you think that greed is good for the weed game or not, Burner, born Gilbert Anthony Milam Jr., has officially separated himself as the Gordon Gecko of the current green rush. Here's why it had to be Burner. Burner's rare presence at the intersection of boardrooms, courtrooms, and living rooms puts him in the driver's seat of America's hottest industry. His cookies brand is multinational with locations spreading from San Francisco to Thailand and market penetration anywhere in between. Everywhere in between. Yeah, market penetration. Everywhere market penetration. Between. He's penetrating that market, all right. We're <laughs> <laughs> so childish. Uh, he could have cra- cashed out years ago if money were his only motive. Instead, he's kept control of his operation and used it to empower others while pushing the limits of the industry at every turn. His family tree includes... Young LB, chief marketer of Leafly 2020 strain of the year runs. Oh, yeah. Wiz Khalifa, whose Khalifa Kush brand was originally backed by Burner. And NYC legacy operator Branson, who is currently working with Burner to get licensed in the Big Apple. But he's not just paying dues or helping his homies (laughs) (laughs) with ventures. I don't know why that was funny. With ventures like Cookies U and partnerships with legacy operators around the country, Burner is planting seeds that should yield huge returns for decades to come, whether the feds take Forbes advice and end prohibition or not. The recession-proof plan. As we enter recession territory, the Forbes endorsement shows that weed is one of the world's fastest-growing industries. After a decade of limited legal markets and decades more of underground activity, many major corporations are no longer ashamed to embrace or exploit cannabis publicly. Yet, there are still many lobbying against legalization behind the scenes. Legal cannabis sales in the U.S. totaled $25 billion in 2021, even with a huge illicit market and even bigger margins are expected by the end of 2022. The anecdotal proof is in the cookies! <laughs> Rise from a collective of Bay Area breeders to an institution of the culture. Along the way, the teams adapted to both written and unwritten laws that have evolved to govern the current market. To learn how to lead change, Burner wore many hats over the years, from clothing designer to independent artists to employee at dispensaries during early days of medical marijuana. 
He stayed close to the plant and now is paying off in more ways than even Forbes can count. <laughs> Why are you cracking <laughs> up? It's in the cookies. It's, I don't know. It's, I'm it's high, bro. Okay. It's <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to get more. It's high. only light up on from here. Cookies was also named by Ad Age as one of 2021's hottest brands in any industry. The first cannabis brand to make the list. But 2022 has arguably been arguably, arguably, <laughs> <laughs> oh, get it out. arguably <laughs> been Cookies best year to date. Damn, really? Your best year to date? And we're not even done with the year. Later this month, Cookies Thailand will open their first store in Asia. What? And in June, the brand opened a 10,000 square foot pharmacy in Beersheba, Israel. Israel, yeah. Wow. After launching products in two New Jersey dispensaries, a Florida location is in the works as well. It's actually opening this Saturday. weekend. And many cookie strands are now available in Missouri. What's up, Missouri? But Burner's biggest win this year was over colon cancer. He was diagnosed last fall, but has since shared that he's in remission and stated he wants to raise cancer awareness while making medical resources more accessible. So he comes to a medical state. Yeah, which we've talked we've talked about with uh, something that we talked about with Minardi with the lawyer is like, like federal prohibition needs to end, especially when you have. A recreational markets meeting medical markets, you know, because it's it is like okay. Let's take for example the if you guys have gone to the cookies Instagram, the cookies Florida Instagram page, okay, um, they have been campaigning for people to get their cards, and I believe it's been specifically because people are so used to them being recreational that they need to, uh. They need to remind people. Yeah, to tell to in remind, order to come buy our product, you need right, a card. You need a card, and we uh, have their post up. Uh, we actually, one of our patrons actually brought this up in a sesh this morning <laughs> in our Discord channel. <laughs> she was like, "Oh, I was looking at the list because you know she's considering getting her card." Right, we've been. Yeah, there's a couple people we've been trying to be like, "Come on, get your get card." Your card. <laughs> uh, she said she was looking at the list. The qualifications saw, that cookies posted, yeah, like the qualifying conditions. That right you can, here like, it is. Get the it's up here. On, we show we're showing it for everybody what oh. the post is. But she's like, I noticed that there was one on there that was like cannabis use disorder, and I was like, one of the qualifications. And I was like, cannabis, cannabis use, use disorder. disorder, and she's like, how can how can that qualify you for a medical card? Like, I don't understand. So I was like, it can't be like what we think it is, which is like being addicted to cannabis. It has to be like, oh, you're not something else right no cannabis use disorder it says here some people who use uh, marijuana develop marijuana well develop marijuana use disorder meaning that they are unable to stop using marijuana even though it's causing health and social problems in their lives one study estimated that approximately three in ten people who use marijuana have marijuana use disorder and, you know, she was joking on the call this morning. Like, nope, that's all of us right here. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't go anywhere without smoking weed. <laughs> Someone. So why, why would, uh, why, why would they recommend somebody that has this problem to get a medical marijuana card? So I was like, this list doesn't seem right to me. And, and yeah. somebody even commented on the post. Chronic pain I heard is no longer qualifying 
uh, he mentions because they have that on there. Uh, I heard and cannabis use disorder. No doctor in their right mind would prescribe you a card for a drug you struggle with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that sounded very, very wrong to us. So hopefully someone over at Cookies, because we were like, well, where did they get this list from? Because maybe, okay, maybe they had it confused with like a California market or something since, right? And since, this list is long. Like, yeah, they got two, a lot. two pages. They got two swipeys with all full of all kinds of different obesity is one of them on here right and how does that work how does obesity how can you qualify for a i don't car think with that obesity? qualifies here in this state no. like i don't know like some of these Did are you, we have migraines okay. migraine headaches so we went to the OMMU website to get their actual list right to, to con- kind of look and confirm what's what yeah so you know, the list is a lot shorter than what they have. And they it's just cancer, epilepsy, glaucoma, HIV, AIDS, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, uh, ALS. ALS, Crohn's disease, Parkinson's disease, and MS, right? Because remember, I was like, oh, so we were also talking about how to get your card. Basically, you have to have any documents proving. Like, we know someone yeah. who has Crohn's. So if you've been diagnosed with Crohn's, you can bring your documents saying that to bam. an you're, MMJ you're clinic. Bam, you're good to go. But but the Crohn's wasn't even on the cookies post. I didn't see right. I didn't see Crohn's on on theirs. On their yeah, post. it wasn't on the cookies post. Strange, but it's a much shorter list. So you're like, hmm, okay, right. But it does say medical conditions of the same kind or class as orable to the others listed also qualify. So if right. there's something similar, so like I think maybe that's why they have anxiety listed, like PTSD. I guess you can kind of get anxiety right. like, you know, uh, under there, but, uh, it says a terminal condition diagnosed by a physician other than the qualified physician issuing the physician certification. Yeah. Uh, and chronic non, non, non malignant <laughs> pain caused by I qualifying medical words. condition <laughs> or that originates from a qualifying medical condition and persists beyond the usual course of that qualifying medical condition. So I guess some of the things that they're listing are like things that come from one of those qualifying medical conditions, you know? Yeah. I don't know. But the list seems very sus, sus. as they would say. But seems a little sus. it is opening this weekend. And if but you hey, do yeah. want to get some cookies, you know, you best get your card because it's the only way you're going to get it in Florida. Yeah, so if you need your card, hit us up and we'll connect you with the prior resources to help take care of that for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we have a couple of things coming up that you would need your medical card for. So that would also be a motivation for you to get your card. I mean, here, if you're here in Florida. anyways. Hey, guys, thank you so much for uh, staying with us so far. Today's been a pretty long episode. Uh, however, this uh, next interview was so great. I mean, it's uh, it, we have so much information uh, given to us by uh, uh, Minardi, by Michael Minardi. I mean, it was just such a great interview. And here it is for you to listen and enjoy. So thank you very much for having me. Um, a pleasure to be finally doing this. I feel like we planned it like three months ago, right? <laughs> yeah. When we met at um, the fest, right? Yeah, yeah great seeing you guys around and everything. And I, I, anything I can do to help you guys, I'd be more than happy to. Uh, obviously, I, I support any segment of group that responsibly uses cannabis. So I know you guys do that. But 
so my name is Michael Minardi. I am an attorney here in the state of Florida. I've been an attorney for about 20 years. Um, I, I do mostly specialize in cannabis law. It's really why I became an attorney. Um, I had a, a bumper sticker. It said, stay in school, learn the system, and change it. And that really all started with reading uh, Jack Herrer's book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, you know, when I was in, in high school. Um, it just opened my eyes to so many things. And then as well, the movie American Made is made out um, based on it. But watching C-SPAN and the congressional hearings on like the Nicaragua Contra issues and stuff like that and all the corruption that was in government, it just kind of spawned a, a lifelong desire to get into the law and then to be able to try to make and change the laws you know, really for the hemp plant originally. And then obviously as all the medical benefits and, and things of cannabis came along it obviously morphed into that as well. Um, just the absurdity of it being illegal. So, you know, today I, I'm also, in addition to the law firm, I am running for office, uh, Florida House of Representatives. I, I've done advocacy work for the past 20 years in the cannabis industry. And I think more than anything we need someone up in Tallahassee that believes in this plant, knows this plant, can educate everyone else on this plant, you know, and has a real understanding of the patients, what they need and, and their desires and, and, you know, needs really. Um, I know a lot of our legislators uh, don't realize that, you know, whether or not it be strain issues or product issues or method of ingestion issues, you know, people have to have all options to all aspects. So, um, you know, that's basically what I do. We also run a nonprofit, uh, Tucana Foundation. We do retreats and health and wellness education and stuff like that. Um, I really like to give back and to help the community as much as possible. We've done a couple hundred expungements and ceilings for people, um, you know, to be able to clear their records so that they can get jobs and housing and it's really amazing uh, the effect that even misdemeanor cannabis charges can have on some people uh, still in this day and age. So it's uh, that's what we're doing. And we're really, you know, just focused on continuing to push uh, patients' rights as a law firm. We have multiple different lawsuits right now uh, challenging the employment issues here in the state of Florida. Um, that's probably a big question you guys have. Yes. You know, we get a, a lot. Uh, so we have a Department of Corrections worker, and we just filed a, a brief with the First District Court of Appeal, um, but just saying that, hey, listen, you can't exclude him as a patient. Uh, under our amendment, we believe that they do have to accommodate off-site use for medical marijuana use. So that means as long as you're not under the influence or high while you're at work, uh, then they shouldn't be able to fire you, just like any other you know, prescription medication or drug. So that's a little bit about me. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about what protections there are right now for patients um, as an employee, if any, in the state of Florida? None. Yeah, really, most employers consider it none. none. Uh, so they don't consider a, a physician certification as a prescription that they have to recognize. So really, it's up to the employer so they can just whatever their policy is. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's scary. It is. But I mean, it's, we're also, it's also an at will stay here in Florida. So I feel like just that right there. Even not... then, you still have some protections. So, yeah, exactly. You can't discriminate people just because it's an at will state. And that's what this is becomes. You know, if, if it was an opiate they were using or, 
you know, any other prescription medication, the drug-free workplace policy gives you the ability to prove that you had a legal right to have that substance in your body, right? Technically, the drug-free workplace is really to prevent employers from being required to keep illegal drug users, you know, so like the American Disabilities Act, the Florida Civil Rights Act, the Disabilities Act are those things that protect those regardless of it, um, you know, the at will aspect of it. You know, it's like a cop can't, you know, fire you because you're a woman or I'm sorry, a, an employer, a woman or, you know, you're handicapped or, you know, something of that nature. You know, obviously, if you can complete the duties of the, and the functions of the job. So it, it comes into that realm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're legally consuming cannabis. So, right. and if it's their medicine, what what's the difference if they were on like benzos or whatever right. prescribed medicine that you're given that you've replaced that pharmaceutical with cannabis? Like, yeah, it's well, very it's, unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. And the drug free workplace policy, and actually, we're trying to kind of push this. Um, the uh, definition of it, like it says, prescription and non prescription drugs which includes like obviously any prescription and any order of a doctor, any medicine that you can get legally in the, in the state or federally, you know, or over the counter. So I think uh, we can obviously get it legally. There's 730,000 patients, you know, come on. I think that's Let, why they're stop. so careful to not call it a prescription. They're like, it's not a prescription. It's a recommendation. Well, and that's the federal aspect of it too. Cause you know, technically prescriptions are, um, are on a prescription pad certified by the DEA. And, and that's really why we can't call it a prescription. But, you know, states like Oregon um, and California do have court cases where they determine that a prescription, a, a recommendation in their state is equivalent to a prescription. So we've been arguing that in Florida for a while as well. Technically, our just um, our definition of prescription is a written order by a doctor for a substance. Right. And especially in Florida, if any state in the country is 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 as close to a prescription as you can get, it's ours, because, as you probably know, most other states don't require um, the doctors to give dosing. They don't have milligram limits. Those are set by the state on the dispensary, but not by the doctors. You know, so like we are about as close to a prescription as you can get in the federal level. So it's um, it's an interesting and sad argument, though, because people don't realize like cannabis users use cannabis so they can work, so they can enjoy life, so they can feel like they're productive members of society. One thing I found extremely frustrating is the recent rolling limits with uh, the, the smokable flower. Is there mm-hmm. anything in the works to try to get that fixed with legislators uh. like they just they're like, oh, this is how we interpret it. And we're going to do this. Like, yeah, was that even did that? Like, was that part of the deal mm-hmm. to begin with? They just didn't enforce it until recently, because I feel like I didn't even have a problem until recently. So, um, correct. They they started establishing these rules earlier this year. Um, unfortunately, I'm hearing uh, it's going to get worse, <laughs> meaning that these rules and limits are then going to start applying to every other category that we have. So not just flour, but the edibles and the concentrates, you know, it's inhalation and edibles and uh, things like that. So, um, you know, 
I, I don't really know. No, I don't understand really where this is coming from. From my perspective, it's definitely not in the legislation. Whether or not it's challengeable um, based on the legislation, I really, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about, meaning that, you know, the legislature clearly said that you can have purchase, you know, two and a half ounces every 35 days. They didn't set any limits on um, uh, the, the milligrams of the other stuff, really. And so where does the department get the authority to come in and then, then change that 35 day or redefine what that 35 days mat, you know, mm-hmm. mean. Um, but I, you know, I really would love to see a lawsuit against them for a few different things, including the two and a half ounce limit um, at a minimum. We did do a public records request to the department of health. So according to the uh, constitutional amendment that we all passed by 71%, it says that they are supposed to use the best available evidence to determine dosage, right? So we did a public records request to the Department of Health and said, hey, what was the best available evidence that you guys used to determine dosage? And they said, none. The legislature told us this was the limit. Um, and so, you know, and, and oh, we hell know. No. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we know for a fact, at least as, far as my understanding and i'm sure and we haven't necessarily done it because that's an expense and a cost um that it's hard to cover all these things from the firm but a public records request to the legislature as to where and how they determine this two and a half ounce limit rumor mill is it it was just you know pulled out of the air like hey we need a limit eh how about two and a half ounces you know (laughs) which is two and a half which is two grams a day and i think anybody who uses flower as their mode of medication. Uh, it's extremely and ridiculously small. Uh, I think it's crazy that we uh, recommend and allow less than the federal patient receives. So their prescription is 10 to 12 joints a day. <laughs> yeah, because there are a few federal <laughs> patients that get um, joints sent to them. Wait, what? I'm, this is the first time I yes, hear of this. So I've never heard of this. I heard about it on the. Um, so Bean's who's book. a federal patient? So there's two of them. Um, I believe still alive. Only two of them. It was uh, early in the early '80s. They and it was really you know the same thing as to how this whole movement got started was the the AIDS movement. Um, a lot of people don't know that, but Dennis Perron was. Um, LBGTQ activist out in California uh, in the 80s. And he was huge push behind medical marijuana out there centered around the AIDS wasting syndrome issue, which is one of the best things that we have as evidence for is the cannabis is medical benefits. So the federal government had a program um, that there were originally, I believe, 13 uh, people that had gotten it. There are two still alive. One of them lives in Fort Lauderdale, Irvin Rosenfeld. Uh, and the other one is in Oregon, L.V. Musiki. Uh, both of them have spent time. L.V. Musiki actually won a case here, a uh, medical necessity defense case here in the early 80s uh, or actually 90s uh, for using it. She has glaucoma. glaucoma. Uh, Urban Rosenfeld has a rare bone disorder. But so since for the past you know 30 years, since I think uh, early mid 80s, early 90s, you know, they've been getting 300 joints every 28 mm-hmm. days rolled in a tin can. And I can, I can show you growing the tin by can the Mississippi and like where, where they, yep. the only place they allowed the growing of huh, medicinal marijuana. Correct. 
and he gets it every 28 days and it's three quarters of a pound a month. Um, (laughs) And yet it's federally illegal. But so, you know, I I think at a minimum, we should look at that as a a basis as to what a patient should be able to use, you know, for a reasonable amount. Yeah. Not just the number they came out, out of their butt. Yeah. And they also, you know, I know that the, the, the amendment does require or permit doctors to recommend more than the limit provided by the department. Uh, but I, as my understanding that there's no a mechanism for a doctor to do that, no form for them to fill out, nothing for them to be able to enter that into the system. So someone could get more than two and a half ounces. So, they don't so these are all kind of, yeah, like my side projects that I think about all the time. Those are all very important things as patients in Florida Lake. How well, do we go? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the other big thing we're dealing with is um, not in your container. So, you know, if you buy your cannabis and you don't keep it in your container, mm-hmm. and this is potentially in your home as well, um, that you could be arrested for it. In your uh, home? Like if you if you put home. it in a glass jar because you want to put it like in a sealable glass jar. If what if yes. you what if you remove the sticker from well, the as package, li- right? If you as long as you put have it on whatever came with that, you that, but sticker. you can't right. But you have to carry it with you everywhere you go if you have it in a separate container. But it has to be. But he's just saying you shouldn't have it in a separate container. You need to have it in Not the original packaging. So um, we have a couple cases. One of them just came in um, out of you know northern Florida. You know, he had made different products, done his pre-roll, rolled his, got his flour, rolled it himself and had containers. He was arrested for it Um, in most agencies. So our Florida statute does state that you really are required to have it in the container at all times. We have a case in Hillsborough, which seemingly they're potentially going to dismiss. But they came in, it was like a call for a home invasion. And this stupid stuff happens all the time, you know, like you're being violated, your rights are being violated and you call the police to come protect you and they come in and they see cannabis and now you're the target. They don't even care about the other incident. Um, so that happened. They came in, they see paraphernalia, which is, again, it's legal for a patient to have. Then they saw jars of cannabis. They were like, oh, my God, it looked like a lot. And I think one of them had like two ounces. The other one may have had three and a half or something. They made it sound like it was like pounds, you know, not the legal amount a patient could have. Both of them were within those legal limits of the four ounces, um, but they weren't in the jars. So they got a search warrant for it, you know, and, and, and the state's prosecuting it. And they are under the position based on the amendment that it is required to be in the container. Um, we have filed motions to dismiss and will continue to fight it. So they used to try to do that with prescription pills. Um, but the courts have determined that that was unconstitutional because people should be able to, it's their medicine. They can legally have it. Um, you know, if you want to put it in your certain dosing, if you want to exactly use it in different formats, like, so technically you can't make your own edibles out of your flour and leave it in your fridge or whatever. If the cops came in, like would know it was edibles. That would technically be illegal for you to possess. That, that's absurdity, right? That's ridiculous. Right. Even though you used your own medicine to make it. 
like yeah. you have to Wait, buy I, it in I'm, edible form. You can't just make your own of, edible with your own medicine. I'm like blown away by the fact that yeah. they could be coming into your house for one thing, see the other thing, and now we've got something else that they're going to be trying to come after. I you mean, for. you had a scare like yeah. that, and that's exactly what I it's started thinking about. Doctrine, yeah. She had a scare yeah. like that. So, she called for rescue. Yeah. So let me ask you because what you just said right now brought me back into a place. My I stay home with my children. And um, my three-year-old busted her chin open and I had to get her stitches. But before that, I had called the emergency so that they can come and just just to give me the okay for me to be able to drive her or what what the next steps would have to be. So they came in and I was wearing my home, my Mary Jane is a homegirl t-shirt. Mary Jane is my homegirl. And I, I, when I called them after I didn't think I called them, I started spraying my house because I started freaking out, panicking, not even thinking that like, I had oh, it my might shirt smell on. Like weed. Right. In here. Cause you know, right. Cause it's in my, it's in your office. Right. It's kept separate, you know, so locked up, but if they, so then weird. I got nervous because a bunch of them came in to check it out and then they called somebody else above them to come check them out. So I was like, oh shit, like now they're probably looking at my shirt going, well, maybe sh- this is negligence. So is mm-hmm. there a, is there a situation where if they see if, so what's the plain sight thing that you just said? Yeah. So honestly, that all depends on the agency and things like that, that you get to come out. So technically, um, so plain view rule is basically if a cop is in a place that they're legally allowed to be and they see something illegal, they can seize it or then act upon it, you know, um, whatever it is. So that's basically what it is. And that becomes a question, like the question of whether or not they should be able to see marijuana in a glass container versus, and that's where it becomes a legal versus legal, right? So that like, if it's in the actual prescription container, it's legal. They don't have technically shouldn't have any probable cause to do anything. It's in a glass container and it's not. They're all they're automatically like, well, now that's a legal product, an illegal product because it's not in the approved container. So that technically, you know, becomes a plain view. Um, We obviously disagree with that. So, you know, your your situation is very difficult and it's really been dealt with um, differently by different agencies throughout the state. Uh, and, you know, attorneys, we've had, uh, I do some, unfortunately, DCF cases where uh, DCF gets involved for either cannabis issues or other issues, but typically cannabis is involved with my clients um, in, you know, some respect. And we've had different responses from um, judges and, and uh, you know, the state attorneys or the uh, prosecuting attorneys as to how they, they perceive it. Um, but exactly like what you said. So they could turn that into, well, okay, whether or not you're legally a patient or not is irrelevant because you could be a legal patient of opiates and abuse it and then, you know, be cited for neglect. So that same type of situation I foresee could happen with cannabis. And now with that, um, you know, any injuries, typically the face, neck, head, bruises to a child, you know, get CPS involved when you call the cops a lot of times, child protective services, you know, to determine whether or not it was abuse or not. And I, I mean, to me, it's amazing. Like, you know, cause I was like, hold on, but I guess, you know, kids wear helmets when they ride their bikes now and skate and stuff, because I'm like, I, the cops would have been in my house like every week, you know, I played football outside. I climbed trees, you know? Yeah. She was um, climbing it, on a chair and banging. Yeah. Her she, chin. Yeah. It was in the house. She <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I mean, so it's absolutely insane to me, like the hypersensitivity that they have for these issues. I, I was, you know, worried at the time. My kid, luckily, not luckily, but he broke his arm when he was like five, um, but it was in daycare. You know, I got a call. I'm like, I can't imagine if that happened in my house, Yeah. you know, and, and what they would do and stuff like that. But it, it's a very difficult situation. It really depends on the cop and the law enforcement that comes out. And, and that's the problem, because when you're in that situation, you're worried about your child. You're worried about the person that's, you know, just robbed your house. You're, you're worried about whatever threat that you have coming against you when you call the cops. So right. you're at a heightened level of anxiety. Uh, you know, and so you're not necessarily thinking this clearly and, and those types of situations happen. Um, you know, it, it's a very difficult decision. And, you know, the, the goal would be, you know, two things. Number one, they absolutely could try to say that it's neglect and that because you were under the influence or something of that nature, you were neglectful and weren't properly watching your child, um, which I think in some of the potential more conservative counties, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they would try to do some of those things. We, I have had calls and, and we don't really do um, family law type of stuff, but in regards to judges uh, in family or visitation cases, allegedly, and again, I say allegedly because I wasn't actually a part of the case, so I don't know if there were other factors involved or anything like that, but you know, required substance abuse evaluation and any recommended treatment and stuff like that for people who were medical marijuana patients um, and, you know, told them they couldn't have it in their system, et cetera. Um, and again, I didn't get involved. I don't do family law type of stuff really, but you know, those are things that I'm worried about that I think we can potentially start seeing, you know, throughout the state and see how it uh, gets affected differently depending on where you are and where you live and how you're treated. Um, but my position is this, our amendment does also, Amendment 2, um, which is Article 10, Section 29, does state that a qualified patient isn't subject to civil liability, criminal liability, or sanctions uh, as long as they're, you know, acting in accordance with the amendment. So, you know, I think anything, uh, we even have a veteran court judge over here in Hillsborough County, which allegedly anybody who gets arrested and goes into his court, and these are veterans, um, he pretty much at the get-go, unless they can provide sufficient proof to probation, that they are not allowed to use medical marijuana, even if they're medical marijuana patients. Uh, I have not been able to challenge that yet because nobody basically just throws people into jail if they don't agree to it. Um, but, you know, things like that, I think, are, are happening and are potentially happening throughout this state. Uh, that, you know, will eventually have to be challenged. If you're a patient, right, if you have a medical marijuana patient, are you at risk of losing any other benefits that you may be getting from the state, whether like it's you're caring for a disabled, some, uh, somebody that's disabled, do you get benefits for them? Or you're, you're if you get uh, welfare benef benef benefits or if you get all sorts of different agency benefits, federal agency be benefits, there's different reasons why people would be getting state benefits. So, so no, um, you, there should not be any problems with it. So there is um, potentially now when we're talking about state benefits, there have been some issues and we haven't really dealt with it. I've done a couple of presentations on it. It's been a while with like Section 8 housing type stuff and using it in your house or growing in your house. Um, and over the years, the feds have kind of changed their policy on that. But any state rights, you know, absolutely not. 
uh, regarding licensing. It's something we've done public records requests to the Department of Health about um, whether or not, because, you know, nurses and things of that nature, you have a state license. Um, can you be a medical marijuana patient and still continue to keep your state license? Things of those natures were challenging and trying to get more education and information on. Um, according to the department so far, they don't have any policies and procedures specifically on it. Um, one of the cases that we have dealt with, which is we're suing the Hillsborough County um, for uh, firing or, or terminating a firefighter for testing positive for cannabis. He was also an EMT. Um, the, the state, we had said, you know, hey, he's a patient. There's no proof of on-site work. There's no proof of under the influence at work or anything of that nature. And those are two of the keys, right? Don't do it at work and, and don't show up high. Um, just like any other, just be a responsible adult for your job, you know, respect your employer. And they took no action. Um, on his license on the state level and found that there was no probable cause to you mm. know, require him to do classes or anything. They just dismissed it as unfounded, basically. So I don't know, and I can't, <laughs> and so far we haven't been able to determine whether or not there's a policy that they have on that, or that's going to be something individually determined on a, on a per person basis. Um, but that's something as well. I'm trying to get more information in public records um, from the department on, you know, any policies, procedures, written or unwritten that they may have on the issue. And it's a way that we can do things. Um, a lot of these I do, you know, are, um, you know, uh, some of them are costly, some of them are not, but stuff that we're paying for just to be able to make sure that we get the information. So I know, you know, what's going on to be able to best understand and protect our patients and the people of Florida in this industry. Yeah, I, I would say that being a patient gives you some protections, you know, cause you have a legal reason to have that medicine in your house, to have those things. So I would think it would be a safeguard to become a patient. If you consume cannabis, I absolutely would recommend it in hundred percent, all aspects. You know, I think that no matter what, if you're a patient, you should be able to possess marijuana. Um, you know, that's what the definition says. It says a qualified patient can possess marijuana. It doesn't technically say, and, and this is an interesting issue as well, that we're, we're challenging in this Hillsborough case that they just dismissed or are potentially going to dismiss. Um, but, you know, it doesn't say marijuana from an MMTC, mm -hmm. a medical marijuana treatment. Nowhere in the amendment does it say that. But our Supreme Court, and there was a, a couple of years ago, Joe Redner, um, he's a, you know, very well-known strip club owner and stuff like that challenged and said, Hey, listen, a patient should be allowed to grow because our amendment says a patient can, can possess marijuana that includes any and all parts of the plant, whether growing or not. And they, you know, interpreted that in, um, they said, well, that doesn't mean anything because a separate section in the, in, in the, you know, amendment says cultivate. And that means, you know, that those people can cultivate, i.e. the MMTCs and, and not everybody. So, it, you know, it's going to be an interesting argument, but I, I don't know how the, the, the government is going to be or the, the, the court will determine, hey, OK, well, it says marijuana and you can possess marijuana and it doesn't define marijuana as something from an MMTC. But because it allows a, an MMTC to sell it, you have to get it from an MMTC. You know, it's kind of like this. Um, and our, our Supreme Court right now is, as I think we all know, Florida, um, you know, does not really like cannabis. They denied both of Joe Redner's cases. 
the last two constitutional amendments that we had, both the Make It Legal Florida, the MILF Amendment, and our Regulate Florida Amendment were um, denied as unconstitutional. So that's why we're continuing to push Regulate Florida as well. And we really condensed our constitutional amendment so to, to pass this really conservative Supreme Court. And can you tell us a little bit about how we can go about legalizing weed here in Florida and what regulates amendment is. Yeah. So regulate Florida does basically um, three things. Number one is it legalizes cannabis for all adults, 21 plus um, regardless, you know, so no medical cards, no anything of that nature. Number two, it allows home cultivation by adults, 21 plus Um, you can have up to nine plants per person, maximum 18 per household. Uh, you know, and we do have in there as to how many you can have flowering and vegetatively and stuff like that. Number three, it prevents the state from ever capping our THC limits. Okay. So those are really the three big things that we we tried to do in the amendment uh, and accomplish it because we know we've seen that continue to happen over the years. And although they haven't been able to do it with medical, you know, we felt uh, just like there's already been cities banning recreational dispensaries and stuff like that, we felt that they would try to, you know, go after it more with recreational as well. So we, um, we put in there to prevent them from doing that. So really, it's just a legalization home cultivation bill. So it doesn't require, you know, purchase from the MMTC, it would resolve any of these issues with it being in the container. You know, we do foresee then the the government would establish a legalized market for our MMTCs to sell. So people could eventually buy seeds and clones and stuff like that from the dispensaries. Um, But we separated the two issues because of the Supreme Court review. And we wanted to make sure one of the requirements is a single subject. And, you know, there was some uh, legal question as to whether or not having both home cultivation and a retail market in the same uh, amendment would violate that single subject rule to pass. So we figured as, you know, our goal and our, our belief in no matter what anyone says out there, I promise you, you know, the three of us right now, it's myself, Karen Goldstein and, and Chris Williams believe everyone should be able to grow this plant and have this plant and use this plant, you know, in any way that they see fit. Uh, And and that's why we're doing this. You know, it it doesn't really benefit any of us at all, you know, personally, it's just, we believe in this plant. We are sick of as a criminal defense attorney. And I'm basically everything I do is putting myself out of business. Uh, Do not believe anyone should be arrested, persecuted, discriminated against, for choosing to use cannabis instead of alcohol um, or tobacco or, you know, vapes or any of these other things that we're allowed to use that are harmful. I want to throw sugar in there. (laughs) I mean, I think it's a single subject. The single subject is the legalization of cannabis. And that includes retail sales as well as home cultivation. Now the home cultivation cap that you have, did that go up from six to nine or was it always at nine? Now, yes, what's what's the purpose of the cap? Why are we capping the number of plants well, people can have? Well, we want to pass it. <laughs> so that's the so reason. you know home cultivation in this state, polling wise, is is you know on the cusp probably around sixty percent. Um, and we believed that number one, 
you know, just think, look at the no on to, I don't know how long you guys have been involved, but when there was the no on to campaign, right? 2016 and 2017, they were, they were, I don't know, the ads to me stick out because they were like, they had ads that said the new date wave drug and it had like a cannabis cookie. You know, so, I mean, those are the things that we were worried about. And if we put an unlimited amount or anything like that, we just felt that they would come after us in all circumstances. And we think it's reasonable, you know, nine and 18 plants as, you know, people, someone who I know people have grown and, and things like that, you know, you really should be able to one or two adults should be able to supply themselves um, with a couple of different strains, you know, after a year off of that plant limit, mm-hmm. and, you know, and if not, you probably are going to be buying it from dispensary because your weed's not that good anyway. <laughs> yeah. We tell people like, yeah, we're not, not cultivators, all right. Yeah. Some of <laughs> us are not cultivators, but for the people that are, that are, you know, like yeah. they want to be able to, and if they have a nice big space that they can do more, why not? And like, are we going to ever be at the point like where it's, where it's legal to be like, sharing our grows like oh you know let me try um, let me try some of your batch i'm gonna try you know trade off or something like that maybe farmers markets eventually i know because in california they opened the farmers market they're talking about allowing small growers to do things in in farmers market like that's where we should be so you know we believe and and we 100 percent agree with you you know but the way that we got here is baby steps kind of and and Personally, I believe that if we do not get regulate Florida on the 2024 ballot with home cultivation, it is a great possibility we will never, ever, for 10 plus years until like there's a total change, have home cultivation in Florida. I I want everyone to realize that and understand the importance of this. Okay, number one, and, and I'll give you my logic behind it. Number one, our legislature does not want us to continue to do ballot initiatives. When you look at your ballot for 2022, there is absolutely no citizen initiative ballots on the ballot for us to vote on. Mm-hmm. And the main reason for that was because last legislative session, they tried to put in a cap, which capped any donations to a, a, a ballot initiative organization to a max of $3,000, okay? A max. Realize John Morgan put in like $8 million himself for medical marijuana, okay? So a max of $3,000. So that was held up in federal court until like July, right? So no one could really get started until after July. So that's really the biggest reason. And they made it more difficult and more expensive for us because now petitioners cannot be paid by petition. They have to be paid hourly, which has caused the validity rate of the petitions to be to go down horribly. When I say validity rate, right, you have to put in your name, you have to put in your address. We have big problems with zip code and county. People will put in, you know, uh, city and state in, instead of zip code and county. Um, people will, will forget to date it when they sign it. That's an invalid petition. Mm-hmm. So previously, when we could pay per petition, we could just pay for valid petitions and not the invalid ones. It, it created more integrity, I think, in the system mm-hmm. because a petitioner is like, okay, I'm only going to get paid for these ones that are good. I'm going to make sure that before I, the, this person leaves my presence that they filled out everything correctly. And, and I've been petitioning. I mean, I'm an attorney. 
I, I, you know, I've been out on the streets petitioning for the past, you know, probably 10 years now since we started medical marijuana in the state of Florida. Um, so, you know, it's, a, it's not an easy process and it's not for everyone. Like you have to be aggressive, you have to talk to people, you can't be shy, mm -hmm. you know, you have to look things over, make them correct them, you know, um, but so all of these things have caused it to be much more expensive. They also require us now, we used to be able to, you know, you could collect 10,000 petitions and send them all in at once. We have to send in the paid petitioners every within 30 days or we could be subject to extensive fines, which requires us to have more mailing costs and more shipping costs because I don't care if I have 20 for this county or hundred for this county, I'm legally required to send them all in. And, but so now I have to send in 20 in a box or whatever and, and spend that cost as, as opposed to waiting for a thousand. They also permitted each individual department of elections, division of elections, to change their price on how much it cost them to validate the petition, right? So it used to be 10 cents across the board. That's it, 10 cents across the board, everywhere across the state. Now, um, every, every county, which it's kind of weird to me, so it's either every county is using a totally different system, which is its potential, but every county gets to set their own price as to how much it costs for them to validate a petition. So now we're looking at, oh, I don't think there's any at 10 cents anymore. I think the minimum is about 20 to 25 and it goes up to 94 cents plus. West Palm Beach actually has the pricing changes depending on how valid the petitions are. Like, and I'm like, why wow. does that even Very matter? pricey. Oh my God. Right. How about complicating how it, things? It goes up to $1.34. And for one petition. And so, but my question is like, why does it take you longer to, to validate an invalid petition than a, than a valid one? Like, why does the, the process of the validation take longer to cost more? That's what I don't get either. But, but these are all like restrictions that they all put hurdles. in. Prevents, yeah. Prevent us from doing this because they didn't like medical marijuana. They still don't like medical marijuana. That's why we have the caps you know, on these uh, that it's are coming out on, on patient totals. That's why they've tried to pass the low THC bill multiple times. And that's why they continue to keep a very restricted market. So I, I really fear that they're going to continue to make this more difficult for us, that if legalization does pass, because there is possibility that the legislature will pass legalization in 23 or 24 to get ahead of it. And that legalization, what I see is just more of the same. Right. Okay. Now all the MMTCs can sell to adults 21 plus. Then becomes the question, right? Who is going to fund, unless we have a George Soros or someone who's just like, I believe in this, who's going to fund a home cultivation petition? Who's going to put up $10 million to do that? Nobody. We can't even find the money for it now. And honestly, I, I've been trying my heart out and I'd love to have you guys on board in whatever way to expose this, to send it out to as many people as you can, but because we should be able to do this grassroots. We need a million petitions. We have 20 million people in the, in this state. We have 730,000 patients. You know, we should be able to do this grassroots, but I mean, honestly, I can't even get volunteers to come out of it at events for me, you know, for regulate Florida. Like it's me out there setting up a table, like, and, and honestly, it's disheartening. So, 
you know, we can get it done, but we need to get involved. I need everybody on board with their hearts and souls to realize this may be our last opportunity for home cultivation. And, and it heart, it hurts me. It's, it's like, it, it, it kills me. Cause that means even under legalization, if you don't have that shit in your approved container for the MMTC, you're getting arrested. That's crazy. Right. In a legal state. Like, let me ask. Yeah. That's, your mind? That is insane. That is, no. That's, that's really, that's, that makes no sense. It makes no criminal. sense. There should be no reason to be arresting people any anymore for cannabis that just needs to stop yeah do you think so we're at the senate now we've we've so you're going for house but i feel like the house is good with cannabis it's the senate every time it gets to the senate are you running for more local legislature florida florida for florida Florida. yeah so it's the opposite yeah it's the opposite yeah yeah so so the big difference between our House and Senate in Florida is the Senate is run like 40 different countries, right? So there's not as much top-down control, right? And just like exactly. Whereas in the House, basically, you know, if you don't vote a, among party lines, you potentially could, you know, be ostracized and really given bad committee assignments and not, not get your legislation and agenda through. So... That, that really becomes the difference between the two, but it is the house that has been the difficult path for us over the past few years. But as, as those legislators that were so against it move out, get termed out, because that's the great thing about Florida politics, we do have legi- like term limits mm-hmm. for legislators, um, that, that the people that are coming in, hopefully, and hopefully be elected this session as well, will be a little bit more open to uh, you know, discussing this issue and progressing it on the cannabis side, on the Republican side. And if not, we need more Republicans that support cannabis because we know they're out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, um, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I just spaced out. I blanked out for a second, but I was going to ask you, we're in a place where the house has passed cannabis for, for the more act, right? Is it's a more act, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's on its way to the Senate. Do you think? And then the Senate also has their own bill, the the one with Schumer and, and Booker. And so, yeah, my position on this is, and I think legalization federally could have been done years ago. The more people I speak to federally, um, it, it seems like it's it's at this point like an ego power struggle thing. You know, I, I personally would rather have baby steps move forward and to get something done if they can't compromise on a whole package at, at the at the beginning. So, um, you know, I don't know what Schumer Marker is going to do. I don't like Schumer's going to do. I don't you know his um, his bill right now would kill the hemp industry and especially the hemp industry in Florida. Um, even though it is a legalization bill from my reading of it, and I've read some notes on it and different articles on it, it also redefines the definition of hemp um, or the 0.3 percentage in total THC, which would include Delta 8, Delta 10, THCA as the 0.7. So all these hemp companies that are booming in the state of Florida because of those Delta products, out done. Wow. Um, so, uh, I, I don't know, I I'm hoping at a minimum and we'll go back. So there's multiple, there's probably a dozen different at a minimum things on the federal level, right? You got mace, maces, the Republican bill, um, which I think, you know, if anything, they should all just jump on board with that and kind of get it done, make some tweaks to it. It's not perfect, but at least we'd have some Florida federal legalization that's bipartisan. Uh, but there's a piece of legislation, uh, that, 
is did pass and was part of um, the federal, it's been part of the federal funding, spending budget for years. So it was basically a rider that prevented the DOJ, Department of Justice, and the federal government from interfering with state medical marijuana programs, right? So um, that's what would kind of, so, you know, all this state, like the feds cannot go after any operators. Technically, they can't spend any money, federal money on it, going after operators who are legally operating in the state. So that doesn't mean people selling it out the back door or across state lines, but all like our operators here in the state, right? But the, they did pass that. They passed that a couple times and have added in the House legalized marijuana as well. So this only applies to medical. Um, so that has never passed the Senate. Now, this is just one little budget amendment that just prevents the federal government from enforcing federal laws and legal states, right? That issue with legalization or recreational has never passed the Senate for that budget amendment. So I'm, I'm kind of watching that. I think that would be our first sign. I think that if anything is going to pass, I maybe we get that, mm-hmm. you know, but until I see that passed in both the hen- Senate and uh, the House and Senate, and it's again, it's passed in the House, but passed in the Senate, I doubt that we would have real comprehensive legislative, you know, federal reform. It, it just, it doesn't make sense. You know, that's just such like a minimum thing. That's not legalizing it. That's not doing it. That's just saying, hey, we're going to take a hands-off approach. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, I don't know. That's just my opinion. That's a piece of legislation I think has the, the greatest potential to pass. You know, there's not a bunch of elements in it to argue over, really. It's just like, hey, should we enforce this or not? Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm looking at um, to see. But I, I don't really expect anything to pass this year on either one of those issues. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but if any of these pass, they all pretty much leave it to the states to decide whether it's going to be legal, correct? Now, if one of them pass... Do you think Florida would be on board with, okay, it's federally legal, so let's make it legal here? Or do you think they would still just stay medical? I, I think they'll still stay medical for as well, long as they can. But there's money to be made. I know. Well, let, let, let's talk about the real aspects of, of the issue, right? So I guess it depends at that point in time where we are um, with politics. Okay, when I say that, right? Who knows what's going to happen? So we have a governor's race this year, right? There's potential that DeSantis in 2026 is going to run for president and things like that. So we don't really know that climate at that time um, because, you know, who knows? It may be beneficial to him if it is passed on the federal level. Can he, you know, uh, argue or be on a platform of illegalization at that point? Remember, a lot of things that happen in Florida come from the top down. Um you know, especially with full party control in both the House and Senate. So I really think it'll be on changing DeSantis's mind on those issues as to whether or not it'll, it will, because even if it passes legislatively, he's got to sign off on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and although it was in response to our constitutional amendment in the past, you know, he has said, not on my watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but if he's running for president in 2026 and they've already federally legalized it and it's a state right system, you know, uh, the cannabis industry is a big player politically now, federally, financially. So, you know, he may back off on that stance to, you know, ensure his, you know, funding for his campaign. 
Um, don't know. I mean, if you follow the money trail with these, the, the cannabis industry in Florida, you know, has, has basically um, been created by and, and for those who have donated to um, those in power at the time. And this goes back to 2014, you know, when the low THC bill started. 